I just want to say good morning again. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> I couldn't sleep because I slept really early, so I guess that's my fault, right? And, uh, but I'm so blessed to be here. Um, I'm really blessed to have uh, Tito Ding and, and, and uh, Tito Allen just really welcome me all the time, to, just to invite me here. Um, last time I've been here, I don't even remember, was that one or two years ago? I wasn't even married yet. And uh, so I could have my wife stand up in the back. <laughs> Remy, and uh, we're going to be celebrating our, our one-year anniversary next month. So it went by so fast. And I'm just really blessed to have her in my life and support me. And with a lot of my crazy views, and you know, it's nice to have a wife that doesn't think you're crazy unless we're both crazy. You know? And um, there's a lot that I've been learning. And I've been realizing, you know, even I've been preaching radical grace, and this church has been preaching radical grace. <clears throat> Sometimes we feel like, oh, I think I get this now, you know. And then I started reaching a point where I'm like, I don't think I get all of this now. <laughs> I think I'm getting confused again. And you know what? It's okay. I don't think we're supposed to understand God completely. Right? And so I, I think one of the best questions that you can ask a person is where are you at on your journey with God? Because you're not going to have it all together. And that's what I've started to realize, that it's not about who's saved and who's not saved, and, and we're this special class, this group that God has chosen. And, you know, this morning I, I heard a sermon on YouTube. It was just uploaded several hours ago, so I just decided to click on it. And it was by a famous pastor that I'm not going to mention his name. But when I heard it, he was sharing the gospel. And the only way that I could really understand and interpret it is that it was a gospel of condemnation. And he was yelling at the crowd, really making them feel bad for their sins. And I was thinking, is that, is that the gospel? That people are preaching? And this is a very famous pastor. He says, this is a gospel that we're telling the whole world. And he kept hammering it in. You have to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe. And then you'll be born again. And you'll be converted. You need to receive Jesus Christ so you'll have this changed life. You know what I would like to do with those types of pastors? I would like to take a bunch of all these pastors. I don't care if they're famous or not famous, but if they keep hammering it in about how much you need to believe, and they're always pointing out people's sins, I would like to take these pastors with me, take them to a special home with a bunch of fully, severely mentally retarded people, a bunch of babies that are lying around, a bunch of people in hospitals that are in a bunch of comas, and have them preach their good news gospel. And you know what? It's not going to be good news anymore because those people can't do anything. And in fact, it would ultimately be called bad news because they're damned with this type of gospel that we're preaching around the world. Of course, it's not everybody, but this is the dominant understanding, the predominant view of how we understand God and Christianity. And that breaks my heart, folks. You know, I've been here in the Philippines for about three years, a little bit over three years, and, and only some of them know, but I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm moving back to the States for a while, and, but it's such a blessing for me to hear that this, this community, Radiant Life Church, is really preaching the, that I believe is a true gospel. It's not because we're special, but this, it's so simple, <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm just so encouraged that once I go, that this message is going to continue to spread. Because just like this church is called Rain in Life, I believe this message will rain. This is just the beginning. And just so you don't feel alone, more and more people are getting a hold of this revelation. 
that we're preaching here in this country. You know, I, I was uh, just, th just thinking about how, how much I don't get it sometimes. How I, how, uh, you know, I have all these rabbit trails that I follow sometimes. You know, I'm like, I, I'm hearing this person say this on Facebook and YouTube, and then you start getting confused again a little bit, right? So there's all these different types of theology, but, but one thing that I know for sure is that God is good, that God is love, that God does not hate you, that you are not in danger, okay? These are what I'm hearing from a lot of famous preachers around the world talk about. But I want, you to ask, I want you to answer this question. Is this a good story? We all like stories, right? Now let me now answer this question for me. Is this a good story? This is what we call the Bible story. God creates billions and billions of people. Adam messes it up, affects the whole world, right? So what does God do because he's very smart? He sends his own son to die on the cross for the whole world, and yet only a few make it. And in fact, the majority of his creation is going to be burning in all eternity, right? For billions and 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 billions of years, the majority of his creation will be burning. Is that a good story? And so I'm not trying to tell you that I'm a universalist, okay? I'm not saying that the cross is, I'm not saying that all religions are valid and that it doesn't really matter what you believe. What I'm trying to say, what I'm, what I'm starting to understand is that the cross is a lot bigger than we think. Right? The cross is a lot bigger than we think. And so let me just tell you first of what is not the gospel. Okay? Uh, now, what I'm going to share, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think so that it's going to be too shocking. Because I, was, I spoke with Tito Ding. I was talking to my wife, Kanina, earlier. And I was asking her, you know, I wonder what people are going to say about this message that I'm going to share because it's a, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, okay? For at least, especially here in the Philippines, man. Uh, even people who believe in the radical grace message don't hold to what I'm going to be sharing to this morning. And that's why I, I asked Tito Ding, I said, I'm going to need a lot of time because I'm going to really need to unpackage this because it's going to really throw people off. It's going to raise some eyebrows here and there. But as I was, as I was talking to Tito Ding, uh, at the MRT station, it seems like you guys are headed on the, in the same direction, <laughs> okay? But there might be some new folks. But here's what I want to say. There might be some of you who have been hearing some of these messages from Pastor Robert and them, and who knows if it's making sense or not, but my hope is, is that if you disagree with it up here in your mind, I hope that when you leave this service, that it's, if it still doesn't make sense theologically up in your head, I hope my message will haunt you, that I hope that you start looking at the world and this message of grace that I'm going to be preaching, and it's going to haunt you because you know deep down in your heart it makes sense. And this is a very interesting thing that theologically we have this understanding of God being a certain way, that God is very angry, He's going to judge you, He's very narrow-minded, etc. But yet the way we relate with people is very different. We're more loving. We're more forgiving. But yet God is not. There, there's something wrong there. And that's why I'm trying to show that the true gospel that you will live, that will be your understanding of who God is. That's why I don't blame a lot of these preachers that are very harsh, they're very angry, that are very critical, and judging people and damning people to hell, and even telling some people that God hates them, because yeah, at least you have God to have your back, right? <laughs> because He hates them too. And yet this is what we call the good news to people. Now let me tell you what the gospel is not, okay? 
Now, this is the way the, the, the gospel is typically laid out. And just nod your heads if, if this is how you've heard it. We always start off like this. God is a holy God. That's the way you always start off. You don't start off with God is love. You'll always start off with God is a holy God in a legal sense. And I'm going to explain to you guys what that means. Then you say, because God is a holy God, you sinned. Therefore, you became guilty. And because you became guilty and God is a holy God, somebody has to pay for your sin. Justice has to be served somehow. So because God is holy, he sends his one and only son to take upon your shame, your guilt, your full punishment. And what he does, that with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it appeases God's anger, his wrath. So then there, therefore, justice is served. right? So therefore, there's that part in the Bible where it talks about where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So people would say, see, that's the point where the father, because he's so holy, he can't look upon sin. He turned away from his son. He turned his face away from his son in order for the son to suffer the full punishment for the sin of the whole world. Now, all of a sudden, all of God's wrath, all of God's anger was put on his son for you and for me. Does it sound familiar? Even some radical grace preachers preach that type of gospel. Okay, so because of that, because Jesus Christ died and saved us from the Father's wrath, therefore, all we have to do is believe now. Then all of a sudden, we become saved. Right? Is this making sense? This is what we've been taught. Folks, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. What people have done is that they've taken, they've interpreted the Bible through a particular lens. Folks, I've been criticized a lot for this online, but there's something called penal substitutionary theory of the cross. Right? We could say Jesus died for you. That's a doctrine. I believe in that. But there's a theory behind the doctrine. The how and the why did Jesus save you. And so there's this theory called a penal substitutionary theory where Jesus died in your place, was punished on our behalf from the Father, and all we have to do is believe in Him, then we receive eternal life. Folks, did you know that that theory or that view of the Bible, of the gospel, is only 500 years old? It wasn't the predominant view, the dominant view in the early church. But yet many evangelicals today are saying, no, this is the gospel. This is orthodoxy. If you disagree with this, then you're going against what the Bible says and the church history. Folks, if, if we learn more about church history, this is not what they believe. So what, what, what am I trying to say here is that what people have done throughout church history, is that they, they interpreted the scriptures through a particular lens of what we call medieval feudalism, of like Reformation era, like a jur, uh, juridical type of metaphor of like Roman concepts of law, punishment, crimes, justice, sometimes it's cold justice. And we use that type of language to interpret it to interpret the gospel. We use that kind of language of justice, punishment, crime, things that need to be satisfied, a payment, in order to interpret God, the way we understand God. And folks, that's not what the Bible talks about. That whole understanding is so detached of what we see with the love that we see among the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Let me give you an, an, another reason why. If that's true, does this make sense in your heart? Okay, where I'm challenging some tradition here. All of God's wrath was put on His Son to punish Him so we will not be punished. You know what that does, folks? That divides the Trinity. 
It's saying that there's one aspect of God that is against you, and there's one aspect of God that's for you. Jesus, who comes to what? Save you from the Father. There's something wrong with that. Makes me not want to trust the Father. So instead of you, in a way, being converted, we need to convert the Father by killing His Son. Now let me put it in our language today that's very simple, and people get offended by this. It's okay. I'm only sharing this because it's very easy for us to understand it. Let me summarize the gospel like this, the way we've been taught. God is very mad at you guys because of your sin. So since God is very mad at you, if I'm God, I'm going to say, you know what? But because I love you, I'm going to kill my son so I don't have to be mad at you anymore. That's basically what the gospel is. Or basically the gospel sounds like this. God loves you so much, folks. But if you say no to him, he's going to supernaturally sustain you for billions and 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 billions of years in hell for all eternity. That's basically what we're saying, right? Even some radical grace folks will say, all of your sins are forgiven. But if you say no to this gift, folks, that's no longer called unconditional love. <laughs> Is this okay, Pastor Rob? Right? We're, we're on the same page, right? I hope so. <laughs> okay? And this is what we call the gospel. And I'm challenging in saying that is not the gospel. At least it doesn't make sense to me. Folks, people say, well, give me scripture. Give me scripture. I've heard some theologians say, oh, yeah, you have your emotional arguments. Give me scripture. Folks, there's something about when you interpret the Bible where intuition plays a role. There's something about when your heart does not settle with something that you hear, that there's something right about what you're hearing in your heart, even though you're hearing something different from the pulpit about God damning you and judging you. Don't ignore your heart. That's why there's so many Christians that are just being taught up here, but they're not listening to here. You can believe and think in your heart too. It's not just theology here because it's not, it's not just all about Christianity, folks. Because if that's the case, look how divided Christianity is. I could go down the street, there's a Pentecostal group there, and then there's a very conservative group here, and then this group is a cult. It's all preaching from the same book. Now, I believe that there's truth here, but I'm saying that we can't just argue, it's just my doctrine, you know, I'm just right because I've, I've interpreted the scriptures correctly. Folks, we know God deep down in our hearts. Why? Because he's there. And when we hear the gospel message from the pulpit, it will confirm what's in our heart. So I'm not adding to anything. I believe that everything that I'm going to say will make sense here. But up here, there might be a challenge because we need to remove some traditions. Right? Now let me give you another example. Now, how many of you have seen a drawing, and sometimes people use this in evangelism, where there's two cliffs. There's one cliff here, one cliff here, and then the cross is the bridge. You guys heard of that before, right? Okay, now this is very popular in evangelism. Now, how does this picture go? God is up here. We're over here. Okay, and why are we separated from God? Because of our sin. But because God loves us, there's this bridge that was created by Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, right? So this is how we share the gospel. But here's what you have to do. <laughs> From here, here's you and here's God. What you have to do is you have to climb these certain steps. You have to confess. You have to repent. You have to believe just right. And then you get to God. Folks, that's not Christian. That is not Christian at all. That is platonic. 
This is Greek thought that's not biblical, but yet this is how we understand the gospel today. This is the way that we preach the gospel. Folks, there's a verse that's found in Colossians chapter 1 where he says, all things were created by him and through him. This is referring to Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things he holds together. Folks, you were never separated from God. You were never separated from God at all. He holds you together. Folks, your sin cannot separate you from God. Do you know why? You're not that powerful. You're not that powerful. His love is greater. God's not that offended by you. Love is patient. Okay? Why can't I be patient with my wife when we fight? But yet God gets very angry and says, I need some sort of payment. Someone needs to pay for your sin. That's not real forgiveness, folks. If all your sins are forgiven, then why all this judgment? Right? Your sins are paid. That's just like saying, somebody owes me money. Give me your money. Somebody has to pay. But somebody comes along, they'll say, Jesus Christ paid your debt. Okay, he paid your debt. But that's not forgiveness. I got my money. You want to know real forgiveness? I'm releasing you from your debt. I'm forgiving you in spite of your sin. See, because it's so crazy that the gospel has come down to this. Because when you say that you are saved, you have to ask the question, who are you saved from? What are you saved from? And ultimately, the church has been preaching that we are ultimately saved from God. I don't know about you, I find that very troubling. We are saved from God? Folks, God holds all things together. God is for you. He was never against you. You thought you were separated from God. You thought he was against you. But for all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit were always for you. But because of your brokenness, because of the fallenness of mankind, we projected this brokenness unto God. And said, God is mad at me. God is going to judge me for every little thing that I do. Every little small thing is going to punish me. Folks, that's our fallenness of how we've understood God. God is the same. You look at the way we're preaching the gospel, the people, but God, God hates other people and all those things. But yet when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see that. You'll see a huge contradiction the way we see God as a violent God, very judgmental God. But yet you look at Jesus over here and he's saying, you know what, forgive your enemies, love your enemies. <laughs> There's a huge contradiction there. So here's my challenge to you folks, that when you read the Bible, Interpret everything through the lens of Jesus. Because he says, if you want to know God, I'll show you God. Because I'm God. I'll show you that you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the ultimate lens of how you understand God and interpret the scripture is through Jesus Christ. I would say he's a canon within the canon. Okay, so if there's all these confusing parts that you see in the Old Testament that look scary, interpret it in light of what Jesus Christ says. That's why Jesus came on the scene. Because nobody fully got it right in the Bible. No one perfectly and accurately understood God all throughout biblical history. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but let me tell you, let me tell you. You always thought this, but let me tell you what the correct understanding of God is. God is not a violent God. God is not an angry God. The way we understand wrath is a lot differently. It's not towards you. It's, toward that, it's towards that sin that's destroying your life. God does not hate you. You see that? 
And this is how I'm trying to show to people that you were never separated from God. They will use a verse found in Isaiah 59 saying that your sins separated you from God. Boom. It says it there. But if you look at the context of Isaiah 59, it's not talking about a separation. It's not a literal separation. It's a separation in the sense that because the people were blind, they couldn't understand God. They couldn't relate with God. They couldn't participate with God. But it's not a, you, you can't be separated from God. Do you know why, folks? If you are separated from God, like in this image of God over here and you're over here, did you know what? You, in a sense, are God in and of yourself because you can exist apart from God. Or how about this whole idea of eternal separation, what we call hell? They'll say, well, God loves you, then what's hell? It's eternal separation from God. Folks, if hell was eternal separation from God, hell would be a God in and of itself because it could exist apart from God. It's self-existent. You are not self-existent. I am not. The devil is not. All things are held together by God and sustained by God. It's making sense so far? Now, I'm doing some deconstruction here, okay? Because <laughs> I'm trying to show on how maybe some of the ways we're understanding God is incorrect. There's a better story. Not about God loves you and then you made him mad, so he sends his son to die and then now he's not mad at you anymore. There's a beautiful story, is the eternal gospel. But this eternal gospel, that what makes this story beautiful is something that's called adoption of Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me give you an example. If, if, there was, if God did not create us, would there still be love? Because, for example, you need somebody to love, someone to receive the love. So if God did not create us, would there still be love? Yes. Why? Because of the eternal relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And did you know that before creation even occurred, God had in mind you and me. That in eternity, they eternally decided to adopt you and me into this circle of Trinitarian love, of Father, Son, and Spirit. You are adopted. Look how crazy that is. That God, look, we're just human beings. We're just a bunch of Filipinos on this little island. And God, who's not created, this uncreated being says, I want to adopt you. I want to include you in this love relationship that I have with Father, Son, and Spirit to include you in this life. I have a plan for you, not to harm you, but to give you hope, to give you a future with me. Okay, folks, because this gospel is not fire insurance. Believe or you burn. It's called fire insurance. See, you're only going to believe because you're scared to go there. Okay, that's not genuine love then. That's just like someone saying, you know, they say, give me your money. Give me your money now or I'm going to kill you. Will you give them your money? Probably. <laughs> Do you want to give them your money? No, but you're afraid to die. And that's how many people are converted to Christ. They say this in his prayer. What? I'm going to hell? Okay, what do I need to do? He's like, okay, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Boom, you're converted. <laughs> that's how the gospel is preached today. Okay. Now let me give you a way to understand this. Now God... Because of this adoption, this is how crazy God is. He comes down. God in Christ comes. He's still God. He comes down in human flesh. Now, let me add on. This might be a little bit of a stretch for some people. In fallen flesh. He wasn't a superhuman being. Okay? 
where like he had no struggles. It's not like that. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans chapter 8. What do I mean? He has the same struggles that you and I have. He had pains. He had issues. He, had, he went through puberty. Jesus did that. He had desires. He had drives. Right, guys? He has drives. He's a human being. We want to detach this humanity from Jesus Christ. Like, no, no, but he's God. He's God. But he also came in as man. He, he came inside of our skin. But he did not sin. And he depended completely upon the Spirit. And he still saw Dad's face in the midst of it all. But he became this, here's this God. Here's Jesus Christ who has this perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit who comes as a man to become our mediator. He identifies with us completely. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says. That's what he did. So do you know why he had to come and fall in flesh, folks? There's a saying that says, that which is not assumed is not healed. In other words, that if God did not embrace completely, if he did not become humanity, just like us in our fallenness, he couldn't heal it. If he was only just a little partially like us, then that's the only part that's going to be saved. But because he became fully just like us, with temptations just like you and me, he was able to heal it. He was able to heal it. Okay? So why did he come? Now, this is very different for a lot of people. People think he needs to come to die to pay, make a payment to God. It's not that. Okay? Remember, keep in mind that God's eternal plan was always adoption from the beginning, but there was a little hindrance that interrupted it, and it was because of sin. Now, what happened is that when sin entered this world, it affected the whole humanity, mankind. In other words, think of sin as like a spirit. Don't think of it as like breaking a bunch of laws. That's the way we've been taught. But there's a deeper root to it. You don't just break laws for the sake of breaking a law. There's something deeper than that. And what sin was, it's like a disease. It's like a spiritual cancer that affected all humankind. And we became corrupt and dark, etc. And what Jesus Christ came to do, because God's dream was still to adopt us into that Trinitarian life, is that he came to heal us from that disease. To enter our brokenness, folks. Did you know that he even wore Adam's glasses? He saw the world through fallen eyes. That's hard for people to believe. He saw the world through fallen eyes, the eyes of Adam. Why? Because there had to be a radical conversion. In other words, if Jesus was to be able to save us from this disease and to keep this relationship with us and the Father and the Spirit healthy, something had to change. Sin was eating us away and corrupting us and destroying us. So what, there, what did there have to be? There had to be a radical conversion of fallen humanity. There had to be a radical conversion of fallen humanity. What do I mean? In order to save us from the corruption of our sin, He became us with all our struggles, etc., fallen humanity, and what He was going to do was put it to death and recreate a new humanity, which is why we are called a new creation. You see that? There was no payment that had to be made to the Father, but what he did is that he took our messed up lives, he says, I'm gonna do away with this, I'm gonna bury it, and I'm gonna create a new species called the Bride of Christ, called the Church. So we can live in perfect harmony, perfect fellowship, 
with the Father and the Spirit and in Him and in unity. Okay? It's making sense so far? Okay. Now, because of that, uh, this, I don't know if this is a stretch or if you've heard this type of terminology. Okay? We've all heard of being born again. Okay, we've heard that before. You know, oh, when did you become born again? Right? Now, two questions. Number one, when were you born again? And number two, who is born again? Now, let me, let me break this down for you. This might be a stretch. I don't know. Now, Colossians chapter 1 says this. All things were created by him and through him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if he holds all things together and Christ died, what happened to us? We died. Remember, we're in union with God. We were never separated from God. Okay? Now, if he holds all things together, right, and we are in him and he sustains us, in him we live, we move, we have our being. He can't be separated from God. Okay? Then he was resurrected. What happened to us? We were resurrected as well. Now, did Jesus just die for Christians? Who did he die for? The whole world. Jesus is not the Lamb who takes away the sins of those who confess their sins perfectly. Jesus is not the Lamb who came to take away the sins of those who repent just right. right? Jesus is a Lamb who came to take away the sins of the whole world. He had to do away with all of fallen Adamic flesh. He put it to death. Then he raised to life. Now here's a cool thing. When Jesus ascended because he holds all things together and because of our perfect union with him, when he ascended, what happened to us? We ascended what? That's why the Bible says we are now seated with him in heavenly places. There's a union with God that cannot be broken. It was never destroyed. It's making sense? Oh, but Josh, you're saying the whole world is born again? Yes. All of humanity is born again. They just don't know it. And that's why we call this the good news to preach to them of what Christ has done. Now, he didn't say, it is finished. But wait, you have to believe in order for it to take effect. Okay? He didn't do that. It's finished, right? He took all of humanity with him, buried him, killed it, and gave everybody a new life. Okay? But Joshua, you know, when I asked Jesus into my heart, you know, it's like I was born again. I felt differently. I don't deny that. I don't deny the works of the Holy Spirit that we have these moments where you become more conscious of Christ. You become more conscious of his love. But folks, here's what people have done, and I think it's a huge mistake. They have taken John chapter 3 with the story of Nicodemus where he talks about being born again. And what they have done is they have taken that term born again from John chapter 3, and they applied it to the time when you say, Jesus is coming to my heart. And they say, hey, you're born again when you ask Jesus into your heart. No, you were born again 2,000 years ago. Amen. All you're doing now is that you're believing and you're recognizing this new work that Christ has done for you and for me, which is why we call it the good news. It's only good news for those who believe, right? That's what people preach. No, it's good news for the whole world, whether you believe in whether you believe or not. So the issue is not this. It's not, it's not about whether you're believing to go to heaven or hell. It's whether or not you want to participate with God or not. But can we just be honest with ourselves that when you look at unbelievers, 
Sometimes they're a lot nicer than Christians. Sometimes they even give more to charity and do like humanitarian works and do so many things. And then us Christians, I'm not saying everybody, I'm just giving an example, but us Christians will be like, no, but they're fallen though. It's all sin. It's all selfish. Who are you to judge their heart? That's why there are times where you can look at an unbeliever and they do good. Why? Because they have God in their heart. They just haven't worked out the theology in there about Jesus Christ. Right? And that's why there's no such thing as this whole believers are inside and unbelievers are outside. Jesus embraced all of humanity. That's why it's called good news. I can look to a person and say, you're forgiven. You're not forgiven only if you believe. You're forgiven. You're loved by God. You could hear God. But I want to tell you about this person named Jesus Christ. See, so this good news is not meant to convert anybody. Jesus converted everybody. Amen. <laughs> it's not a potential gospel. Jesus saved the whole world. But you have to believe, right? It's not a potential gospel. He said, it's finished. Believe. Believe. Making sense? Yeah? So I know that's a stretch for a lot of people. That's why you can see when you hear the good news and you hear, you can see the kingdom of God at work. That's why you cannot see the kingdom unless you're born again. That's why you have the capacity to respond. If, if you were not born again, and if, if God was not indwelling in your hearts, you wouldn't be able to respond because you'd be blinded. Right? That's why all those times when Jesus was talking about where he's going to die and he's going to resurrect, the disciples were like, what? I don't get what you're saying, Jesus. <laughs> they don't understand. Because they were still living in that flesh. But now Christ has recreated a new humanity. He is placed inside each and every one of you in that sense. Okay? Now you have the capacity to respond. You have the capacity to participate now. Make sense? Okay. Okay. Praise God for that, right? Now, I want you to think about this. Now, Jesus. Now, my latest sermon came out. It's like a sermon jam with the music thing, but it's just a little snippets here. But I'm going to unpack it for you guys. Now, how many sins does it take to become a sinner? We all know this. Zero. Nada. Okay. Now, how many, what must you do to become righteous? Nada, okay? Some people will say, no, but you need to believe, you need to confess right, you need to repent right. You see how there's all these things, you just never get it down perfectly, okay? But just let me say this. We've been believers for so many years. And some of you got the radical grace message just a couple of years ago, <laughs> okay? But imagine if you're only saved just because you got the radical grace message. That means everybody who's Christian here in the Philippines who doesn't have the radical grace message is going to hell, Right? No, folks, we're growing. We're learning more about God because we don't understand Him perfectly. And so we're on this journey to knowing His heart, knowing His grace of how much He loves us. And He always loved us and was never against us. Amen? Now, when it comes to Romans chapter 5, I like how C. Baxter Kruger put it. This one theologian, he said, people treat Jesus as a footnote to Adam. What, do we, what does he mean? In other words... People treat Adam, the work of Adam, as very powerful. Yet the work of Jesus is very weak. 
Or Adam's very big and Jesus is very small. What do I mean? Because look at it like this. When Adam sinned, it affected who? The whole world. Did you have a choice? No. Now, now Jesus dies on the cross because he's very powerful and he's a son of God. He comes to die on the cross for the whole world. Yet, who's affected by it? Only those who believe. <laughs> Only those who believe just right. I'm telling you, man, there are so many Christians who message me all the time. You know, Pastor Josh, you know, what is repentance? I don't even understand. I'm scared, Josh. I don't know what to do. Because they're so focused on what they need to do to get to God. When Jesus didn't come to tell you, hey, guys, here's a method on how to get to the Father. Jesus came to show you that he came to us. That he's the one that did the work. That you don't have to believe to make it happen. It happened. This believing just allows you to experience it. To experience the salvation. To experience the joy. To experience the love and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Folks, that's why you can look at Christians. They look more depressed than unbelievers. See, because they're so focused on what they have to do. Instead of just knowing that God is love. I can speak to any atheist and so someone will say, you know, well, I used to believe in God, but I don't want to believe in your God because he's so angry. But if I did believe in a God, I believe he's a God of love. That's why it's so easy for them. They're just relaxed. I'm not saying be an atheist, okay? <laughs> so what I, my, my point is, is that when I look at all these atheists, and I watch a lot of videos on YouTube from people who are very bitter atheists, or those people that are angry, backslidden Christians, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of those atheists are not really atheists. I think a lot of those backslidden Christians, whatever that means, are not really backslidden. I really feel like that they did not reject the God that they know in their hearts. They rejected the Western God, the God that is full of anger, the God that is full of wrath, that just hates, I was going to say something, that hates homosexuals, okay, that hates everybody because of your particular sins. That's not the God that they know in their hearts. And that's why I don't blame people when they want to reject God. In fact, I don't think they did. And that's why I think if we really preach the good news for what it really is, there will be more people believing in Jesus Christ. That's why it's called good news. Like I told you, when I watched a YouTube video, that's not good news. That makes me feel bad. And I feel too ashamed to talk to God because I feel bad. Because he kept pointing out all my junk. <laughs> you know, these people are like rebuking people about, don't be careful what you put on Twitter and Facebook and you call yourselves Christians. Folks, that does not help. That does not help. The way we live is by the Spirit. And the way we understand and we love God is not because we're trying to conjure up some sort of love. God, I need to love you. I'm a Christian. No, it's because you finally understood his love. Then you want to love. Amen? Now, when it comes now back to this Adam thing, isn't that interesting that with Adam, there was a universal work, right? Affected everybody. No choice whatsoever. And that's what I've always struggled with, right? Because even when we preach radical grace, we'll say, no, but... Christ did a universal work, but you need to receive his righteousness. You need to receive all these things, right? You guys with me? So even that radical grace stuff, I'm, I'm here to challenge that. So in Adam, there was a universal work, but in Christ, there was a universal work, the Bible says, but more so. So when you look at Romans chapter 5, you're going to see a comparison between Adam and Jesus. It's amazing on how we don't see this. With Adam, there was sin and death, condemnation, and it affected who? The whole world. Everyone was affected because of Adam. Then because of Jesus Christ, because of his work, 
Here's a comparison. You'll always see the words all, all, many, many, much more, much more. Jesus Christ's work was much more. But that's not what we're preaching today. It seems like Adam's much more because you have no choice. You're affected. But with Christ, you're not affected unless you believe just right. And I'm telling you, what Christ did, the reason why you're believing, like I said, is to experience the abundance of his grace so we can reign in this life and in the life to come. But the work is already done. Jesus is greater than Adam. Because what he did, he did without your permission. All those things that he did of making everybody righteous and holy and forgiven and loved, he did it all without your permission. You don't have to believe it, but I would encourage you to believe it okay? <laughs> so you could experience that, right? Okay. Now, receiving Christ. Now, I could ask many of you, how, many, how old were you when you received Christ? Some of you will say, I was five years old. I said the prayer in my house or 17 years old. But folks, isn't it interesting that through all your years, you've had to unlearn and learn about Jesus? You had to unlearn and learn about God? but yet you're still saved. So it's not all about believing perfectly in order to be saved. Christ saved you. He didn't potentially save you. He saved you. And that's why, folks, like I'm not denying that there's an afterlife that if you want to call it hell, call it whatever you want, okay? But Christ already dealt with the sins of the whole world. Now, when I look at this whole idea of hell and all this stuff, I heard some other guy tell everybody, you're in danger, you're going to go to hell, and blah, blah, blah. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, folks, it's, if you look at the scriptures, it's not, that's not God's main message. Believe me or go to hell. Okay? Because when you look in the Bible, he says, what's the most popular verse? John 3, 16. Right? For God so loved the world, yada, yada, yada. Right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I've done some study here, but I'm not going to be sharing this stuff. It might be too much for this time. But I started studying the word eternal. And I started studying more about the afterlife, what we believe about hell and heaven, and etc. Did you know that the original meaning that we see for the word eternal is not the way we think of eternal as forever? Right? It's like it's all linear. Oh, I'm going to be in hell forever, billions and billions and billions of years. If you look at the word in the original language, it's referring to that age, that age that Jesus was speaking in, right? So what he's saying that for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When you look at that original meaning, the verse is talking about that if you believe in him now, you could experience him now. The kingdom of God is here. Okay, because the, the original meaning talks about a quality of life. It's a vitality of life. It's knowing Jesus Christ here and now. And that's why there are those people who reject Christ and they're living in a hell now. And there are some people that are indirectly not understanding because they don't know God. Folks, there are people that are in extreme poverty. They're born into poverty. Like I see the kids on the street almost every day. There are people that are, are sold as sex slaves. Right? People that are prostitutes. They're being raped as little girls five times a day. Folks, people are living in a hell now. And the Bible is saying the choice is here to participate. So it's in this age and in the ages to come, which will be for eternity. You know why? Because in and of yourselves, you're not immortal. But because Christ is in you, you will live forever. 
So you will either participate with God or you will participate with darkness. It is your choice. Oh, Josh, so I could just, don't have to believe, I could just do whatever I want. Do whatever you want. It's going to be a living hell for you because if your will is not lined up with love and light, it'll be hell for you. And we all know that because of the choices that we make that are bad and the bad choices that other people make that affect us, like the people in the Holocaust. To think that it's just this life, right? Where you get to choose. Oh, I go to heaven or hell. It's not about that, folks. It's about knowing God now in this age. And when you die, it'll continue on forevermore of knowing who God is now. Okay? Because when you think about this, let's just say you become a believer at a youth retreat. So at that moment, you say, you know, I ask Jesus into my heart. But then as you started to become a mature Christian and get discipled, you believe that you're forgiven, but you're struggling with your, the whole idea of being holy. You're like, no, nah, I don't think I'm holy, though. I need to become holy, right? So imagine if you believe you're forgiven, but you don't believe you're holy and you don't believe you're righteous. Now, let me ask you this. Does your unbelief of you being holy and righteous make you not holy or righteous? No. Okay. And what about a person that's an unbeliever? He doesn't believe in any of that stuff. Okay. But yet because of the work of Christ, of recreating the whole humanity, he is holy, righteous, forgiven, pleasing to God. And it's not because he believed it. It's a done deal. Believe in Jesus Christ. You're included. Know him. Know his heart. He loves you. I, I used to, that's why I can look at this world now. It's crazy. Before I'm like judging. Oh, man, they're going to hell, man. They need to do something, you know? And that's good because that's well-intentioned, right? But I can look at these people and I'm saying, you know what? I bet you deep down they know God in their heart. They're probably going through a lot of stuff. They've probably been through so much pain. That's why they projected their pain and their understanding onto God. So they have a hard time trusting God. Okay? So I'm not here to say, hey, Islam, it doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe, but not to save you. Like, I like the way Steve McVeigh put it. He says that there's a subjective experience in an objective reality. There's a subjective experience in an objective reality. What does that mean? That when you start believing in Jesus Christ, you start experiencing salvation. You start, like I said, you start experiencing His love and His forgiveness, but that was already rooted in the objective reality that it was already done. It was already finished. Amen? Making sense? And that's why we can preach the good news to people and look at them and say, you're included. Let me tell you this beautiful story that God adopted you. Folks, whether they deny it or not, even if you're a guy, everybody wants to be loved. Okay? Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be free. And we're here to tell you that the one who made you loves you. He knows your heart. He won't judge you. He's more patient than me. Okay? He's not going to strike you down with thunder and lightning and all those things. Or with a tsunami. You know, like that's what we hear some preachers say, God's judging. That's the kind of God. I don't want to believe in that God. That God's scary. Okay? And folks, this is not all emotional arguments. I'm trying to give you some scripture here. Folks, if you read in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3. How do I know that everybody is born again? Because he has given us a new birth. Through the resurrection. It doesn't say he's giving you a new birth when you believe. He's giving you a new birth through the resurrection. You're born again. 
And you're no different than anybody else except we're just understanding more of God's heart. It's not about which one's the right religion. There's no right religion. There's just Christ. Okay? There's no right religion because Jesus didn't come to bring religion. He came as Christ. And it's about being a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and knowing his heart. Not to become because you've already become but to know Him now in fellowship and intimacy and knowing His heart. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, people will say, well, what is faith? And I like this. Tito Ding, was, we're on the same page. It's pretty cool. Now, everyone is always going to hammer in faith. Now, there was a debate for many decades about the translations of the Bible. If you look in your Bible, you will see verses that talk about you are justified by faith. But there was a time where there was a debate among translators of how to translate that from the Greek. Was it our faith or was it the faith of Christ? And unfortunately and sadly, eventually, our faith won out. And that became the translations in our Bibles that you are now justified by faith, our faith. But here's the interesting thing. More and more scholars are starting to realize that the original language, the structure of the Greek, is better rendered, rendered as the faith of Christ. And now the burden of proof is now being put on people, those scholars that are translating the Bibles and saying, no, we have more proof now that these versions that we're reading in the Bible are incorrect and needs to be translated as a faith of Christ. Because your faith does not save you. Christ's faith saves you. What your faith does is that it recognizes reality and it allows you to participate with his faith. Amen. Imagine if your faith saved you. Pardon my language, you'll be screwed. Because there are times when you're believing and there are times where you're not believing very well. Okay? We have doubts. We have struggles. That's why he, it's his faith that sustains us. It's his work that he will accomplish and finish in and through us. Not us. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amazing. Christ is the one. He's the answer. So this is not like a, a universalism that's like, oh, but everyone's born again. I, I don't have to believe in anything. It's not a Christless universalistic view. Okay? It's a fact that it affected the whole world, and Christ is the basis for it, for all humanity. Okay, now, do I believe in repentance? Someone asked me this the other day because they heard my sermon. They don't think I believe in repentance. Of course I believe in the repentance. The Bible says repent, right? But what does repentance mean? And we all know this. It doesn't mean, hey, just stop sinning more and more. Don't, don't sin. Don't sin, you know? Repentance is what? Change of mind. That's it. <laughs> okay, when you study Greek lexicons, they're, they're virtually all in agreement that it's just literally a change of mind. It's a different way of thinking. Because I could challenge anybody. Oh, Josh, I repented of that. Really? Let's just say some of you boys or girls too. Don't want to be so hard on the boy. You're <laughs> thinking bad thoughts, right? Oh, Josh, I repented of that. Yeah, you probably repented for the day. But then the next day, you're struggling. So did you really fully repent? Because how do you really fully repent? Where in, in, if we define repentance is you just stop sinning. And if you get caught up with that kind of repentance, folks, you're going to become sin conscious and you're going to think of Christianity as a behavior modification. And that's not what Christianity is all about. Folks, what Jesus did is that he did not take upon the Father's wrath. When you look at that verse, when it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How do I interpret that now? Let me read to you a verse. How many of you know that when you look at that verse in, in 
where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that that's actually a psalm? It's found in Psalm chapter 22. And the context of the psalm is this, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. But now notice this. Verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. The father never abandoned his son. The, the father never forsook him. In fact, it was a father who saved him. In fact, it was where the father and the son were the most triumphant on the cross, saying it is finished. Because what Jesus did is that when he, when he came on this earth, he defeated the works of the devil. He died on the cross. He absorbed all of our sin. He absorbed all of our violence. He swallowed death. And he says, all that violence, all that wrath ends now. And instead of unleashing his wrath towards humanity, he unleashes his forgiveness and says, I forgive you. That's the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's not like, I'm angry with you. Give me a payment. Now I'm not mad at you anymore. I got my payment. Look at the teachings of Jesus Christ that are so clearly in contradiction to how we understand the gospel. Unless the Father is very different, I guess. But from what I know, the Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect harmony. They're in perfect unity. And folks, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that He died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, and He reconciled us. It didn't say when you believe. Even when we were His enemies, He still reconciled us. So there's a universal reconciliation. Amen? Now, lastly, why preach the gospel then? Very simple. I like it when it was broken down like this. How do you know you're a sinful person? The law will reveal it. That's how you know. You'll use a law on somebody. Now, how will the world know that they are forgiven, that they are saved, that they are loved, that they are holy, and they are righteous? You preach the gospel. Because it's not a, a potential gospel that makes you become something. It's a declaration of something that's already done. Amen. Amen. Okay. God is a good God. And when people are asking, Josh, where's your justice in all of this? Where's God's justice in this? If you study biblical history, if you want to know what true justice is, it's not this type of Roman type of justice, of law and punishment. True biblical justice, when you look through the history in the Bible, it always goes hand in hand with mercy. Read it for yourself. True justice is setting people free, loving the poor, showing kindness and mercy. And like in the book of James, if you want to know God's heart, it's His mercy that will triumph over judgment. That's God's heart. Justice is served in that sense. Okay? Listen to the good news. You are loved by Him. You are included in this Trinitarian circle of love, of relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Know Him more. You could ignore Him if you want. I don't think you could escape because He loves you that much. But you could participate in your decisions that you want that are leading you to destruction. That's up to you. But He loves you. You're included. He saved you. And it's finished. Thank you very much. Thank you.